Hello and welcome back to Bodybuilding Down Under. I am one of your hosts, Lawrence Grieve, and I'm here with Jack Radford-Smith and Daniel Chappelle. And we're actually a man down today, unfortunately. The beloved DY, as he's affectionately known on the show, is currently vacationing in the beautiful Santorini, I believe he's in now. We just looked at some fantastic pictures where he unfortunately arrived without his luggage in Greece, it sounds like. And we were just talking off air. It sounds like he's actually had a pretty rough last 24 hours. Alana had a bit of a back flare up and DY, the you know the genius that he is, left his laptop at the previous accommodations so to pay to get it back. And then they managed to get to the country that they were heading to, sans luggage, which is obviously not ideal if you're trying to be on holiday. But alas, he's still alive to the point that we know now. And that's all that really matters. So have you boys had any uh, really bad holiday experiences where you've, you know, lost your luggage or something like that? I think the worst thing for me is I lost my iPad and that was just like at a random hostel where I was staying in Barcelona, I think in Spain. And uh, yeah, that, that was really annoying. And I mean, the likeliness of getting that back at a hostel is, is zero to none basically. Right. So I remember inquiring with the, the hotel to be like, you know, can you guys get this? Like, can you go and look for it? And they're like, we don't even know what that is. If you're even staying here, the hotel doesn't exist. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm just kidding. But yeah, it was very, very like, it was just impossible for me to get that back. So I kind of just mm. accepted that um, I was never going to get that back. But I don't think I've ever fully lost my luggage before. Like, I'm, I kind of wonder, like, how does that just go missing? Like, just disappear off the face of the earth? yeah yeah it's, it's probably going don't want to jinx yourself yeah exactly yeah. well the extra shooters on the next trip so when when you went to barcelona was that a part of like a europe trip dc yeah so i went to europe in 2017 i believe so we did a a trip over to spain went to ibiza and then went to like Greece and did, did a similar trip to what DY did, I, I believe, but it was doing at the moment, but we didn't do Santorini. We did like Mykonos, Eos and Athens, I believe. They were, they were the three place, places that we went. Okay. Did you do any of the other spots in Europe, like the, the London and Paris and all those places? No, unfortunately, it was just, just those two those two locations. That was the, the only time that I could get off. I would have extended my trip uh over a longer duration but i was actually working as an ep in um in injury rehab and chronic disease management for return to work so i only had i think four four weeks off within the calendar year within my full-time contract so um i kind of exhausted that over that that period yeah okay because i was in europe in 2017 as well like end of the year we did like a school trip so it was kind of like my schoolies in a sense where we went over for about a month we didn't get to do as much of like that side of like the Eastern Europe, we sort of hit the, you know, like all the huge tourist spots, but it was still pretty, pretty awesome. And Jack, you would have spent a bit of time there. Hey, being with your fa- mm. a lot of your family in England and that sort of thing. Have you been around? Yeah, around a fair bit. Like um, up until 2014, my family tried to at least once a year try and head internationally, which I was very fortunate to be able to do. So a lot of time in the UK specifically, but also France, Italy um, in particular. But I did have a story like, I think this would probably be when um, my brother, I mean, I'm the same age as him, but he was, I think he was eight years old or something. And we went to Hamley's, which is like the biggest toy store in London. It's quite a tourist destination. And it was Christmas, so probably like a thousand people plus in the store. 
and like he gets separated from us and then long story short like my dad is searching for him for probably like a solid 40 40 minutes and um he just catches him and he's literally walking out the front door of Hamley's onto the street so um that's probably the uh the scariest travel uh travel sort of story that I have but fortunately it didn't it didn't end poorly yeah that would have been like full-blown amber alert there's <laughs> yeah. a kid lost in London good grief what's your uh favorite European destination Jack any that stand out that you particularly enjoyed probably the the one that was the, a little bit different was heading to Turkey like I went to Istanbul and Cappadocia in Turkey I uh, was a bit young to get my um any sort of hair transplants or or teeth redone but I uh yeah it was great to see that different sort of culture there and a little bit before the times where um potentially it became I know there was a little bit more of a rocky period where it became a little bit of a scarier place to be I guess depending on where you go but uh fortunately it was fine when we went there mm. Jack, what, about what, you, um, what what nationality are you by the way so I actually don't know this I'm well I'm half English I guess most Australians are derivatives from the UK but yeah, my dad's from the UK. My mum's was born here. Mm, that's fair. And what about you, Lawrence? Are you from I'm South Aussie? African. South African. Yeah, really? Yeah, I didn't, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, right. No, really. Yeah, I moved over here in 2009. So I was eight when we came over here. Wow, so. I didn't know that either. Yeah. yeah really? I, mean, <laughs> I didn't. Well, I knew <laughs> no, you had the South African this, background. So. But like, oh, I, no. I, yeah, no. I lived there for, yeah, until I was eight years old. And then um, we immigrated, just the four of us, <laughs> our little family. And then, yeah, it's pretty crazy when you think about it, like to come to like the Redlands of all places, which is where I live in Brisbane, like it's not exactly a massive place, but you kind of think of all the people we've met here and, and all the life that we've built here. It's, it's pretty crazy that we ended up in, you know, we've never really lived more than like 10 minutes apart from our houses, which has been pretty cool because we've obviously built a life here now. But yeah, South Africa, it's uh, it's a really cool place. Like, I'm not sure if either of you guys have ever visited or thought about visiting and like, Obviously the, like the city, like where I'm from. So like Johannesburg is not really a, a super nice place. Like the crime rates and stuff are quite high, but if you can get out of that a little bit and go towards the coastline and then of course to like the game reserves in the nature. So like Kruger National Park, for example, is incredible experience. Like I would love to go back to do that sort of thing again. Um, Cause we haven't been back since 2014, but you know, as far as like spending a lot of time in Johannesburg, like, meh, not really my cup of tea anymore. Mm. And what was the reason for your family to, to relocate? <laughs> like so many, man, like there's tons of South Africans here, as I'm sure you are aware of. You, you can't really move more than a kilometer without bumping into them. But um, like over there, the crime has gotten to a point where, you know, it is pretty dangerous, you know, like mm. even little things like you know, you wouldn't necessarily go for a walk by yourself in certain neighborhoods, um, you know, like when once the sun starts setting or like the carjackings are a massive problem. So like you'll be driving your car and um, like a van will pull up on you and there'll be sort of like five dudes jump out the car and they could be threatening you with knives, guns, that sort of thing. Um, and then the home invasions are a big one as well. So our family was fairly fortunate in that we never had a, a home invasion that, you know, got violent or anything, but sort of the, the straw that broke the camel's back for mum and dad is that we were, you know, just at home one night and all of us were asleep and mum woke up and there was actually a man standing at her door. And there were a few guys in the house and 
basically the one at their door was keeping watch to make sure that mum and dad didn't wake up and didn't alert um, them. So mum woke up and kind of had almost one of those like rush of blood adrenaline moments that you hear of, you know, babies getting mums lifting cars off babies and stuff where she got up and she just like ran at this dude and basically chased him out of the house. And then um, what they had done is like, they had sort of the TV, the radio, as much as they could gather. And they had it at like the door ready to start taking out the door so they could get away with it all. Um, but eventually like they didn't really get anything. Obviously none of us were hurt and mum and dad said that like, we didn't even wake up. So we were none the wiser, but yeah, just that sort of thing. And like the opportunities here are just so much better, like the, the access to education and I suppose better the, bodybuilding I've heard as well. And bodybuilding. Yeah, it's actually interesting. I don't think, I don't know if there's much of a scene over there. Like, mm, I'm always going to be my, my next question, actually. Like, is there much of a bodybuilding scene over there? Yeah, I'm not sure. Like, my, actually, interestingly enough, my aunt got into bodybuilding in the last few years. And I'm not sure if she still does it anymore, but she had competed at like the Arnold's in South Africa. And she had done like sort of like figure fit body type thing. I'm not entirely sure what the exact category was, but yeah, she looked really good and she did quite well, but I'm not sure how the natty scene is over there. If maybe I can, maybe instead of New York, I'll do South Africa and I'll just go take out like the African titles or something like that. Mm, absolutely. Well, I've always wanted to go and compete potentially over in, um, in Malta because my dad's actually Maltese. So I've got a, oh. a, a Maltese passport, which I'll probably use at some point in my life. Mm. But um, it's quite a diverse I, podcast. I don't, yeah, yeah, exactly. But um, they don't have any, you know, INBA or ICN or anything like that over in Malta. I only think they've got um, IFBB uh, Elite, uh, I think. So if I was going to do a show over there as a natty jumping into, you know, maybe a classic physique or something like that, just as a means of, of just kind of having a crack, I have no idea who I'd be up against, but it'd be pretty cool to, to compete, you know, overseas in a, in a different country for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's probably an interesting thing to talk about. Like out of all the shows that go on in the world, are there like a couple that are on your hit list? We might go to Jack first, like thinking about, you know, whether they be world championships or just countries that you want to compete in. Are there a few that you want to make sure you tick off before you hang up the proverbial posing trunks? Yeah, I mean, I stopped traveling. Interestingly, like it's usually the reverse. I traveled mainly up until I finished school. And then since finishing school, I um, both like high school and uni, I haven't really traveled that much, which has been a long time, like almost 10 years now. And uh that means like I haven't really traveled too much while bodybuilding and I'd like to probably definitely head over to the, to the U S and go there because like, it's, it just seems like a neat place to, to bodybuild and compete out a few shows, definitely WMBF worlds and uh, INBA worlds as well, or the natural Olympia, I should say. And I mean, that's happening very, very soon, both of them. So we'll get a good insight into what this year's, um, worlds and natalie natty olympia will look like but also uh the uk as well um since uh i think in the future i definitely plan to spend some time over there whether it's a few months or even in a more extended period uh, might as well make the most of that considering with my job i can pretty much live anywhere yeah, yeah what about you dc yeah i i'm pretty similar so initially my thoughts are you know do wnbf worlds at some point and 
maybe even the the Natty Olympia as well for, for INBA, just like you mentioned, Jack. And then I'd love to go over to the UK and, and compete. And this is something that I've gotten more um, interested in, I guess, within the last, like pr- pretty much the last year, I guess, as I've got a better understanding of the federations over there and just seeing the, the caliber of athletes that are presented across their federations as well. So, you know, WNBF, um, is it the DN or the BNBF, sorry, and um, the UK DFBA, or I think that was, I think that's correct. Yeah. A lot of a uh, lot of a lot of lot of letters in those in those federations, but um, yeah, like all of their all of their federations over there, and their, their, the natty scene is just looks incredible. So, um, and I think having a look at the um, you know bodybuilding worldwide, and and uh, and obviously the athletes that they've they they put forth in a lot of their content. Um, just the caliber is, is incredible. So it'd be awesome to jump over on that stage and show how the Aussies do it. So um, yeah, that's, that's on the cards at some point. And based on my next uh, time on stage, which is likely to be in 25, uh, I'm kind of still tossing up between either WNBF over in the US or potentially going and heading over to the UK instead. So, I mean, I, I could potentially do both, but I'd like to just kind of dedicate myself to one one season like here in australia and then head over somewhere like the uk and carry out the rest of the season or something like that Mm. so yeah but that's that's basically on the cards what about you lawrence yeah pretty much exactly what you guys have said i just think it would be so cool like imagine just kind of rocking in to the like one of those uk shows like because they would get people traveling from a lot of countries in europe i'd imagine especially given you know the geography of it all but it'd be pretty cool to see like an australian make that journey come out of nowhere and just like take a you know maybe take a first place or take an overall or something like that mm. um and it would also be a testament to that athlete because you know as we've discussed as we always talk about on this show like the standard over there is is pretty awesome um but yeah it's interesting like just thinking about you know planning for these world shows especially when they involve you know a big big amount of travel like it's one thing if you're going interstate in australia to get to the nationals but when you're thinking about traveling overseas you know we're needing to allow for you know probably at least a week of actually being in that country um maybe five days at the very minimum before you step on stage so that you can ensure that you know everything is calming down from the flight like i was talking to um thorburn the other day and just asking when he was heading over and stuff like that and i think he's sort of given himself a pretty similar time frame but it also extends out the season so far. Um, and it's that balance of, of how long do you actually want to remain in a deficit? That would definitely be a very hard part because there does get to a point in your season where the thought of dragging it on for another four weeks is, uh, is quite tough. Hence, uh, hence, if I do go compete in the U- US, like I brought it up before, but I might go there a bit earlier because I think being in that environment, in a, in a fresh environment will certainly help... Uh, help with those final stages yeah Mm. absolutely yeah and just like you said like giving yourself a little bit of time in relation to the the flight and potentially like edema depending on you know how long your your flight is a 16 hour flight over to over to the us you know you you might get quite bad bad jet lag from that you certainly don't want want that in within a proximity to when you jump on stage but then i guess other things as well like differences in foods uh, potentially in terms of like nutritional tracking you obviously use the the USDA uh, in terms of their, like their, their database, because potentially different, different types of foods and, and preparation methods, et cetera. But um, 
and even just finding your grounding in relation to like, where's your hub? You know, where are you going to shop? What foods are you going to buy? Where's the gym you're going to train at? What's the commute like, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I think it is so important to give yourself some time when you do travel. And like you said, Jack, like you kind of want to immerse yourself within that bodybuilding culture in terms of like going a little bit earlier and getting excited about training in a new gym. And I think that excitement can definitely help in sort of propelling you forward when it comes to some of those weeks that are a little bit more like slogging it through, even though you may be, let's say, eating up towards your show. Like we all know that when you're, when you're in a depleted state, you're in a, you're extremely, extremely low levels of body fat. It's hard regardless of what your calories are at. Mm. Mm. Even those little things like, you know, spending that last couple of weeks there, just being able to get your steps done in a new environment where you're, you're literally walking on like a street corner that you've never seen before. And you're, you're getting to just see different people and, and a different environment. I think that'd be pretty cool. And I think, yeah, if you do have that luxury as an online coach where with a Wi-Fi signal, you know, that's your only prerequisite for a place to work, a Wi-Fi signal in a gym, then um, I think that'd be an awesome idea, man. Yeah, just uh, got two dogs at the moment, which is the limiting factor. <laughs> yes, exactly. Two dogs and a mortgage. That's the, the <laughs> ongoing Radford Smith joke. But yeah, I actually had to renew my passport today in in hopefully preparations for some travel next year. And um, oh, who we, I know it's, it lasts 10 years, but that initial payment, you're like, oh, that's kind of mm. gross to get that all done. But yeah, I had to get a, I get to get a um, emergency passport once. Cause I, we went to Thailand in 2019 and I literally looked at my passport like five days prior and it had run out. <laughs> so I needed to, uh, I think it's a few extra hundred dollars to get an emergency one yeah. or fast track one, whatever. Yeah. And it's like one of those things where it's like, make sure you leave yourself time. But you know, if you, if the number's right, if the payment's right, we can actually get it done quicker. <laughs> it's just like, so you can actually make them fast, but it's just, you got to be paying the premium for it. Mm. DC, you were at the, uh, the wedding last week, mate. How was that? Did you, did you kick back a little bit? Did you have a few adult beverages, a few, few yummy snacks? Yeah, I did. Absolutely. So I was up in Cairns, like, um, I was up in Cairns for about 10 days recently. I flew back on Sunday and I'm actually a little bit sick at the moment because someone next to me in the flight was sick. So the whole time I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to get sick. And alas, here I am sick with some sort of flu. It's definitely not the spicy cough or the Rona, but it's annoying regardless. But um, yeah, I had a really good mate of mine. I went to school with him. He was a couple of years ahead of me and he had his wedding on um, Saturday. So it was up in Cairns in this beautiful place called Ellis Beach, which is um, near Palm Cove, which for anyone who's been up to Cairns, it's just a really nice area. And yeah, day was a little bit more, you know, heavy on a couple of bevies and a couple of, um, you know, slices of pizza, et cetera. But hey, I'm in the off season right now. So I'm straight chilling. I can, uh, I can afford to have a few extra cows up the sleeve. So um, that is, that is all good. Now, interestingly, like, I started my mini cut actually on went on on Monday, and because I was away for that, you know, ten days, two weeks, etc. Like I didn't weigh myself throughout the entirety of that time that I was away, and I was actually two kilos down by the time I came back. So clearly, I didn't eat enough whilst whilst away. I still didn't got in adequate training, but you know, I think when 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 calories are high and hunger is at an all time low, like even though I was eating out a little bit more over that last two, two week period, uh, being a little bit more sociable, it still resulted in some weight loss. So I might actually end up cutting this mini cut just a touch short. Cause, um, yeah, I'm sitting at around, I think I was around like 93.6 this morning. So 
and I was 90, 90, uh, I think it was 96 when I, when I left. So <laughs> started my mini cut two weeks early, early apparently. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. I reckon one, maybe next off season, we should all, like when I'll rebound from the show, I'll just throw all caution to the wind and we'll all do a race to 100 kilos. How does that sound? DY could look very disgusting by the end. He may actually need <laughs> medical intervention, but I reckon we could do it. Well, I'll, I'll be in my pre-prep phase, though. <laughs> oh, but Jack, yeah. all that, you know, that lean muscle, I reckon you'll, you know, You'll still be at fifteen percent with the, on up with hundred kilos if you if you do the right in body scan. Fifteen percent above stage weight. Yeah, it, it does actually make you think. Like, I mean, some of those top guys who are getting it on stage, like in the nineties, and look, that's probably like, I mean, how in the natty league? Do you reckon there'd be a few guys doing that? Maybe a couple. Maybe a couple. Yeah, like but some of the heavies. Yeah, I, I mean. Yeah, I feel like some of the some of the bigger boys, like especially in the the WNBF, you know, like your heavy class. Like I feel like some of those guys that are very tall and just very big boys, like they're 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 probably pushing up well and truly above that hundred. Like I reckon one hundred and ten, something somewhere around there. On stage? No, not on stage. I thought oh, we're sorry. No. I thought we were talking about an off season. Oh, off season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah. Why wouldn't you be above hundred kilos? That's easy. Oh no, no for sure. Yeah, yeah. Hundred kilos on stage. I mean, what are we talking about? The IFBB here, or yeah, no? Yeah. We're talking. Um, I think the uh, the bloke who won men's physique in uh, the pro show in in Queensland. Like, I would I wouldn't be surprised if he was ninety kilos or above. Those guys are mm. massive. Hey, like mm. it's it's yeah. actually mental. And interestingly, I know none of the bodybuilders. Are, well, maybe the um, one guy in particular, but I don't think um, many of the bodybuilders would have been above 90. I know Aaron definitely wasn't um, 90 kilos on stage. Mm-hmm. He was low, like a low of, 80s. Or... Yeah, I feel like a lot of the, the bodybuilders that, that do you know exceptionally well, um, especially like the heavier guys, usually sit between that maybe 80 to 85, 86 kilo mark, roughly around there. I haven't heard of someone jumping on stage at like 90 kilos, 95 kilos on <laughs> absolutely peeled. You have to be an absolute monster. But um, yeah, very I'd, have, I'd have to go back and check. Like I'd be interested that guy, Sam Watt, he's from the UK and he does powerlifting. He's kind of like semi-shredded all the time. And I reckon he'd be very heavy on stage, but I'm not sure if he would be above 90. It, it actually dovetails into a nice question that we had from someone asking about our stage weights um so it was actually asking like stage weight in our first comp versus our most recent comp now i know that um you know dc he's just not as experienced as you and i jack he's only done one season he's so he might (laughs) but you can answer your uh maybe your your predicted stage rate for the future um yeah so i jumped on stage at at basically 80 kilo flat the lowest low that i got in in prep i believe was like 78.7 and that was like the you know end stage depletion and then just through a proxy of an increasing hydration and and some you know carbs leading into the show i pushed back up towards uh, 80 kilos but looking at my projection in terms of stage weight i mean it's it's somewhat challenging to know exactly but it's probably not the answer that a lot of people would think. Like a lot of people would think, oh, like clearly like a few kilos up for sure. Like I probably think I'm going to sit around a similar weight, to be honest, which might be somewhat a scratch to the head being, why is that the case? And I still think I could have gotten a little bit leaner. So 
you know, hopefully I can be a similar weight, but leaner. Therefore I would have. Accrued, Where do you think you could you know, have gone more, more leaner? Uh, I think I could have gotten a little bit more rib cage through the glutes. Absolutely. So mm-hmm. definitely had those lines through there, but you know, if you look people, you look at people like, you know, bathtub, et cetera, like, and even, even BK, like the, I do think there, there may even be a sort of a genetic proclivity towards some of those deeper lines in the glutes that, that can make, make those lines come through a bit more. But, um, you know, I always look at conditioning and I think I probably could have gotten a touch leaner. So, you know, I probably maybe had another kilo to lose potentially maybe around 79, you know, on stage would have been, would have been where I wanted to be. So if I'm a kilo up and, you know, I'm, I'm better conditioning than, than happy days. Mm, that's interesting. That's actually very, very similar to my numbers in 2020 as well, which is crazy because I feel like a child when I stand next to DC. And I, I, sh- I went, when I hugged him the other day, I was like, this is a lot of man to reach around. So, but it just kind of shows like there's such a big difference between, you know, what your actual stage weight is and how you look on stage. Mm. Because if you put me and DC next to each other, you know, he's, he's much more muscular than I am. So even though we may have the same body mass or weight, it all it does depend on you know how that sits on you and of course like the density that he's got from from his years of training so i think it's just a good lesson to people don't fixate too much on the scale like you ultimately were pushing for a look and yes the scale is important in a sense of deciding which divisions you get into and stuff like that but i think that some people may even you know over diet to get themselves into a lighter category or they might try and hold on to a bit more body fat so that they can be in a heavier category. So I just think, you know, bring yourself in and put yourself on stage or whatever is going to be your best look, because ultimately that's going to give you the best chance at winning anyway. Mm, absolutely. I think like joint circumference as well has, has a big part in that, right? So mm. someone who has a bit more of like a, you know, barrel abdominal section, just genetic proclivities towards not having as much of an abdominal tapering terms of you know smaller waist than potentially that you know would affect stage weight and things like that as well so yeah it's so true because you see someone on instagram and then you see them in person they look completely different right so it's somewhat of an illusion unless you actually see someone in person i think i'm the shortest out of all of us right how tall are you guys i feel like i feel like a midget next to you boys (laughs) i'm 180 centimeters 180 jack yeah yeah i'm 182 so that that makes sense. Okay, so yeah. So I'm not that. Kings, I'm not that it? short. I'm I'm 178. So, <laughs> yeah, we are short kings. That's that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I disagree with that, by the way. There's, uh, so do uh, I. Yeah, I mean, six foot is pretty pretty tall in Australia for, yeah, for a male. That's what I was saying, and I think that, you know, I think you know maybe like five eight, five seven, and below. Mm. Because if you're like 5'11 or 5'10 and you walk past that person on the street, you're not thinking, oh, that, per- that, that man is especially short. Like you probably think they are about average height. Mm. I mean, what is the average height in Australia? It's like 5'10, 5'9. Something, I'd, something say so. I'd say so. I'd say so. Yeah, gotcha. So I'm above average then. Yeah, tall king. <laughs> tall king. Dude, what about your stage weights, Jack? I, I didn't realize I was that close to DC in terms of height. 
I feel like I was a bit taller than him, but apparently not. How maybe I'm Tierra? maybe I'm shorter than one 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 seventy eight. Maybe I'm like one seventy seven or something. I don't know. I mean, mm. I can't remember. Do you the know last if Tierra time. is taller than you? Have you you haven't measured your height up? Against uh, no. The last time I saw her in the gym, I I didn't. Funnily enough, I didn't walk up and go, "Hey, let's compare heights." Oh wait, Jack, you weren't there at dinner when we had them back to back, and we were measuring <laughs> yeah, how yeah, tall yeah. up against was. the wall, like yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> drawing on the restaurant's wall with a little pencil. Must have missed that. I was at the bathroom. I think. You were in the bathroom, yeah. <laughs> Tierra would be probably because there's some pictures that's like a, I don't know if it's an illusion. Whereas I'm like, is she taller than Jack? It's quite close, I think. But she's, I know she's not. Yeah, yeah, she's one seventy-seven. I think so. There's a few centimeters in it. Mm. it Tierra is certainly taller than me in heels. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Mm. No, she is very tall actually. But that doesn't stop her from from still squatting. I reckon. Like it's it's pretty impressive given her limb length that she's she's still squatting as much as she does. She's mm. she abandoned the barbell back squat a long time ago though. Hey, yeah, I mean she doesn't she hasn't done a traditional squat pattern in, in a long time. Like even a machine based squat. I think she's she's running the true squat at the moment. But mm. um, and she did the pendulum for a bit. But yeah, other than that, it's it's mainly like leg press and single leg exercises. Mm. The legs are just too damn long. Mm. you think that's often like an overlooked quality where people kind of forget just how important like limb length plays a role in with respect to squat pattern deadlift etc etc yeah i think so i think people like will just point at someone doing a lift or a particular lift and saying hey like i i can maybe do that or mine should look like that as well but no it's entirely different Mm. and i i even found that myself like now that i've moved to stiff legs I think my my limb lengths are fairly favorable because my my chest won't even be parallel to the ground when I pick the the load up. Like it'll be slightly above parallel, which is fairly favorable on a on a stiff leg. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But but I also do think that sometimes the someone's like gross height is used as like a cop out sometimes because if you think about it, it, it isn't shouldn't necessarily be a barrier it's more about the ratio between your legs mm. and your arms. Because if the ratios are still the same, then you know it shouldn't be that much different um, if, if you are a taller person. But it's just when you get you know some people who unfortunately will have like a lot longer legs compared to their arms. Like I see it sometimes at work with people like maybe they're complaining about some, some low back pain with their deadlifts and then you watch them get into the deadlift position and you know their, their femurs are like parallel just to initiate the pull because their legs are so long and they're having to shift their hips so far back and their arms are comparatively quite short. So they're having to like, you know, squat down to parallel just to get into a point where they actually pull the lift, which is obviously not going to be favorable if you're, if you're deadlifting for, for strength, I guess. But yeah, I definitely think the, you know, the, oh, like I can't squat because my legs are too long. I can sometimes get overused. I think it's maybe just people who are maybe being a bit lazy. They don't want to, do the work and find out, you know, can I actually make this better? Um, or then you have someone like Tierra who's like, you know, has tried a billion different she things. Definitely has tried. Yeah. yeah. And it's just like, okay, clearly that pattern is just not for you. And mm. I think that's fine. Like I think some people also, they, they're constantly searching for a way to do it. Maybe they're always getting injured and, and you kind of need to have that chat with them where it's like, you know, it's okay that you like can't do everything. Um, that's not the end of the world. Mm. Mm, yeah absolutely there's actually a really cool video on on youtube that um highlights like the the differences in limb length and portions and how it affects let's say for example like a back squat and your um your center of mass relative to 
you know, different areas of different, different positions of a back squat. So, you know, if someone has exceptionally long femurs, short, short tibias or, or floor to knee, and, um, and then has, you know, relatively like short, short torso, they're going to sit down into that squat and it's going to feel like a good morning in comparison to someone who might have, you know, very short femur, long floor to knee, and then also a long, you know, torso, torso length as well. So I guess if like, it's, it's that whole premise of, you know, if you look at, let's say Olympic weightlifting and, and some of the Olympians, you, you would almost see perhaps genetic proclivities towards certain limb lengths in respect to their ability to get into some, in such um, incredible positions for their snatches and their clean and jerks, things like that. But um, there's always going to be like anomalies who can still perform incredibly well and maybe not have the best, you know, structural components for said sport. Well, it's also great for us who like it. I mean, we're not married to those particular lifts anyway, fortunately. So that's why I, I like the uh, hypertrophy side of things. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. It's like, you've got your, your physique, which is like your canvas, right. And the, the brushes represent our exercise selection. So you kind of change up your brush type, depending on how you would like to approach painting your physique. Are there any exercises though, that like say from today, you knew that doing that exercise would not net you another gram of muscle tissue. Is there any exercises that you would keep in your program if that was the case, because you just like doing them? Probably not me, not for me. Like if I, if you told me they weren't going to give me another gram, then I, I'm not that married to any particular one. What about you, DC? Mm. Mm. Yeah, I'm probably not, not married to a particular movement either. I mean, uh, like the iliac pull, like that's uh, that's a <laughs> no brainer, mate. I'm just kidding. so much fun. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, no, not really. I mean, I guess you know, like we talked about, as being being bodybuilders, there's there's so much uh, exercise selection that can kind of get the job done at the end of the day. But um, that that being said, like, don't you think that in terms of bodybuilding, like I know we talked about how, you know, there's, there's no single exercise that's the best when it with respect to building one's physique, et cetera. But do you, do you notice, and I, I see this and, and I'm obviously I'm putting words in your mouth, so to speak, but I feel as though a lot of athletes, bodybuilding athletes that don't prioritize like heavy hinge based movements, it's almost like they, they miss that thickness in terms of like the, the TL fascia, like the, that thoracolumbar fascia, like lower lat area, mm it just like you see this like really strong upper back and then erectors kind of like disappear into nothing. And there's like between basically the lower apex of the scap to, to the, to the iliac crest, there's like no musculature. What do you boys think? Yeah, yeah. I completely agree, mate, because I was that human that you're describing. Like when I look I back too, at, yeah. when I look back at some of the photos, even the ones I, I sort of recently put up some back shots comparing like I just did not have any like lumbar erectors really on stage in, in 2020. And it was, it's quite jarring. I was like, Oh my gosh, like no wonder that shot looks so terrible. And even though like a lot of the time I was sort of thinking, yeah, it's my mid back and my lats, like it really is sort of a, an area that can round out the physique and, and really make that a strong shot. Whereas now that I've spent a, a lot of time really building up um, my conventional and my stiff legged deadlift, I, I have some erected tissue to throw show for it. And at least, yeah, that's just one area that at least is not going to be as much of a hole in the physique because that's kind of what's it about, isn't it? You know, we're just trying to patch these little holes with bits of clay to, to build them up. Um, and it just so happens that when you're early on in your career, you're, you know, you're using a big 
blocks to get more tissue in there. And then when you're getting more refined, you know, you're the, the Jeff Alberts or the Alberta Nunez, like these guys are just putting, you know, little dollops in the right places now because they've got most of the tissue that they're going to have and, and they've refined their physique to that level. Mm, mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like that where that whole premise of, you know, density day come, comes from in terms of, um, you know, AJ and some of the boys over in, uh, in the UK basically proposing this day of density day, <laughs> which you could argue density could would refer to any muscle really. But uh, I think when, it, when, when, you know, where they're coining this certain, certain word, it's pertaining to like that, that lower back thickness, that lower lat thickness, which, um, you know, we're not, we're not necessarily saying that you need to pull from the floor to achieve that, but certainly adding some sort of heavy hinge pattern would be, would be beneficial to that. Um, it, sort of n- not referring to like a hip thrust. Like I think, you know, hip thrust is fantastic for the glutes, but it's not really going to, going to load, you know, provide any sort of axial loading on, on that, um, that spine, which, you know, we kind of need to, to strengthen those erectors. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, found... yeah, sorry, you go, man. Oh, no, I was just, oh, sorry, Jay. You go, mate. Oh, look at us just arguing like an old married three couple, some weird couple where we're all three dads. Um, no, I was just going to say, AJ says it really well. Like you can just spot the people that don't bend over with something heavy in their hands because in that lower erector and that back pose, like they just stand out because they're, they're weaker in that pose. So I actually quite like that way that AJ just simplifies it down to simply bend over with something heavy in your hands because that is, is ultimately what we see that build the, the actual density in those shots. Mm. I just find that it translates so well across to other movements as well. Like if you're in your case, Lawrence, like if you're picking something up off the ground, that's 200 plus kilos, like it's going to translate into other movements, like a, a bent over row or a single arm row, any, and I've noticed that too, like it's almost been a bit of an ex- exponential growth in terms of my, my pulling strength and I would say potentially even my pulling strength is now my my most favorable area just because my RDL came up and then everything else kind of came up with that like since I've RDL 200 plus like you pick up a barbell to row it and you're like hey this is kind of I've I've lifted almost like 1.5 times this so um it's it's a good feeling um anyway I got reminded when you said Alberto Nunez like did you guys see his story where he was listed as sleep in prep no no i didn't see it it was like a solid seven to eight plus hours of sleep every night at that stage of prep oh which is definitely uh, a wet dream for us in prep for sure (laughs) shit that was probably like double what i was getting yeah it's actually (laughs) quite the opposite of a wet dream i don't think any of us are are doing that in prep (laughs) the last thing the body wants to think about yeah absolutely However, you may, considering you get seven hours, eight hours of sleep per night, who knows, right? Maybe your potential to, to have a higher libido may be there. Potentially not, considering energy availability is so low. But um, yeah, man, seven, eight hours, that, that's, I mean, that's what I'm getting now, at like ample body fat. <laughs> I'd love for him to, uh, hopefully he um, hops on a podcast or talks on that topic soon, because I don't, I don't think he's touched on it too much. Um, but I mean, maybe he will just say the generic things about sleep hygiene. Potentially there's a genetic proclivity to, to getting some better sleep. But I mean, my sort of anecdotal, which you guys laughed at previously, but going to bed, uh, those people who go to bed a little bit later, I, I still think that's potentially like a hidden secret, which I'm going to no longer secret, but I'm going to try and exploit that. Because mm. aren't you quite a 
early bedtime person in general though yeah i will i will usually head to bed at 8 15 and <laughs> and usually i'll read in bed for a bit just because i enjoy reading but i'm usually asleep about 9 p.m yeah right okay but then yeah, I, I wake up at six so, and I still get, what is that? Like it's nine hours of sleep a night. Mm. Mm. That's solid. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm usually bed at probably around maybe 11 or even midnight. Wow. I've just kind of been a bit of, you know, always a bit of a night, night out to be honest. Um, but I, I still wake up at around, you know, seven, seven each morning. So it's still like anywhere between seven to eight hours sleep for, for me. But I do find in prep that that window of sleep gets 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 earlier and earlier, yeah. right? So instead of going but to bed, that, that's the thing. That's the part I'm interested in. Like, what would have happened if you tried to like keep it at eleven? Like, would you have just woken up at four still, or would you have woken up a bit later? Mm. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I think uh, maybe maybe a component of me waking up earlier as well is the push for higher amount of steps. So if I'm just as busy within my day as it pertains to work. But now I've got a section, you know, a certain amount of, of hours within my day to achieving set, you know, step target. Then I found benefit from doing that, you know, a good chunk of it in the AM, like in the morning. So mm. I'd say somewhat, I felt the need to wake up early as a means to start my day and, and you know, get certain things done before, um, you know, needing to get into check-ins and, and, and athlete work. So yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if that would be more helpful for me, like going to bed later. Mm. um i interestingly like going to sleep and actually falling asleep was fine i mean i've never had issues falling asleep uh it'd just be more so the the frequent wake-ups if anything mm. uh, regardless Likewise. of whether i had to go to the bathroom or not like sometimes i would just sort of wake up and i'd be half asleep but i could tell i was a bit awake and then i'd kind of drift back off again but and i think that you know having a really good night of sleep means being you know, out of it the whole night through and not having those sort of frequent wake-ups um, based on you know sleep cycles, etc. But I mean, I was almost waking up to the point where I probably could have gotten up and just walked walked downstairs, you know. Whereas I think having a solid night, night sleep, you you need to be deep sleep, mm. not the entire time, but obviously within your within your sleep cycles. I felt like my sleep was very like superficial. I could wake up at any point. Mm. Mm. I, I interestingly haven't actually struggled that much with sleep in prep, to be honest, but the last two preps that I've done have also been whilst I've been at uni. So I was absolutely no. smashed at the end of the day. Like I was literally falling in bed because you know, it's you're in prep, you're training, but then alongside that I was working on assignments and I was studying and yeah, like some of those days were, were mental. Um, so I don't know if maybe now that I'm generally not as tired, I mean, yeah, still like at the end of a long day, I'm, I'm still pretty tired, but it'll be interesting to see how that is now um whether or not that has a bearing on my sleep the next time I go around but yeah it, it is an interesting one because like you almost wonder like if you could have some superpower like a bodybuilding superpower whether it was like you never get injured you always get like eight hours of uninterrupted sleep every night or like you know you you maximized your protein every single day and you had like perfect timing like would those little one percenters all add up like how how much better would you progress if your sleep was like perfect every single night? It'd be an interesting thing to consider. I mean, I'd pick the note. If I could never have any niggles or injuries for the rest of my training career, I'd pick that just because it causes me the most mental grief out of all, out of everything. Yeah. I, I would pick it, but just for myself, mate, you know, I've still got, I've still got bills to pay and 
and food to put on the table. I can't have the whole world doing that. <laughs> if you guys could pick any superpower except immortality, what would you pick? If, if we could include the powers that a Jedi had, I'd pick that. I think I teleport- kind of a teleportation would be pretty cool. I feel like mm. I would, I would, I would, yeah, I'd probably I would personally pick teleportation, teleportation. Yeah. and practical as well. Very practical. Mm. Wouldn't have to drive to the gym. Yeah. Except, except, however, imagine how low your knee would be. That's true. Right. <laughs> but, but you could like teleport and you could go get your steps on like, you know, the French Riviera. That's true. So you'd find you don't, a way. You don't think in prep, you'd be like on your treadmill treadmill walk and you'd be like, oh, I'm going to go outside, like get some nice fresh air, like walking down the road, you get tired. You're like, oh, just teleport to my destination. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure if I'd be bodybuilding still if I could teleport though. I think my uh, perspective on life would change somewhat. Mm, potentially. Or you could still bodybuild, but you mm. could train it at Rotherham every day. Just imagine how like efficient your training sets would be. You'd like, you know, people put a new spin on like doing a superset where, where essentially you would finish the the last repetition of another exercise and boom, immediately you're mm. you're set up on the hack squat, ready to roll. Or I'm hack squatting at Venice Beach and then hack squatting at Rotherham. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> set one, set two. And on a really busy day, you know, you're supersetting hacks with like a load of washing at home. Indeed. And just getting it all done. Mm, exactly like puts a new spin on confusing the muscle right mm. actually on that did you ever listen to you are a, an avid listener of 3dmj's podcast hey dc yeah yeah, yeah so, their stuff yeah do you ever remember when like brad loomis would talk about his training and he had like this setup like in his house and he would say like he'd like do a set and then he would like go cook dinner put some washing out maybe watch like a, an episode of a show and then he'd come back and he'd like do another set mm. and he would just kind of like trickle his workout over the course of like three hours even if he only had like a little bit of work to do and mm. he would just kind of like drip feed it into his day i always found that like hilarious the notion of doing that yeah 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 exactly right i mean i mean as much as like within within bodybuilding we often laugh because we look at a single session and most of the time we're resting for four or five times the amount of comparable work time. Right. But um, mm. that just puts like a new, new spin to uh, to rest between sets. I don't feel like my sessions would be productive in the sense of like, I would have that same degree of mental readiness and hype if I was to just simply walk away and, you know, start doing something else in my day. I feel like whilst I'm in a certain level of arousal and, and mood to train, I kind of need to capitalize on that at that point in time. So, you know, I understand his, his rational for, for going and, and mixing things up a little bit, but I personally, I don't think I, I could do it myself. Yeah, no, I think I'll agree with you there. Well, boys, we've got a, a bit more time left. I thought we can crack into a couple of the questions. There was one here saying the funniest thing you've ever seen in a gym and I don't, I won't have a think about what is the funniest, but this happened to me yesterday. So I thought I'd mention it where I was overhearing a couple of, of teenagers on the preacher curl and they were discussing a, a phenomenon that we're all quite familiar with in the world of, of strength and conditioning, but they were referring to it as aggressive overload, which I found quite funny. And you just imagine you're like, you know, aggressive overload, like you're in the gym, just angry and, oh man, I'm going to put 1.25 on the bar. It's more than last week, but you just have to have a bit of aggression and a bit of fury when you do so. Mm. Sounds a bit like regressive underload. 
Mm. <laughs> That's the Instagram tag of of someone in. Yeah, I remember seeing seeing yeah. that. A bit I of can't a remember chuck- who it is. Chuck- I think it's lady. Yeah, something like that. I I can't remember, but I remember having a bit of a, a chuckle at that. <laughs> the premise so, yeah. of like detraining de- regressive underload. Or maybe they're on on the cusp of the new evidence, and and this is just a new technique or a new philosophy that I haven't come across yet. Mm. That's why they're making all the gains, and I'm here plateauing. Mm, yeah, exactly. Um, I can't actually recall like a funny moment that I've seen, but I've had I've like I do recall when I was maybe a year into training or something like that. I was back squatting at at my gym. And someone walked past me as I, as I unracked the, the bar and I, you know, just did my, my two, three step out, getting ready to, to hit my first rep. And someone brushed past me and like knocked, knocked the barbell to the side. So I kind of like staggered to the side of the rack and uh, took a, you know, a couple of steps to the left-hand side. And then I went to go do my first repetition, but because I hadn't centered myself again, basically like the barbell hit the side of the, um, the safety rack and it just flew me to one one direction, and I didn't have the uh, the collars on, so the one one side just flung off, <laughs> and then, then the other it, side, obviously, yeah. the counterweight just flung me to the other side, and I almost like flew across the room. And lucky I didn't I didn't injure myself, but mm. I um I just remember being so like confused as to what the shit had just happened, like how the hell did that just happen? And of course the sound, like the whole gym stops and everybody, you know, it's like dead silence looking at you and I'm looking around like what the shit. And uh, some, some guy came up to me and was like, you know, Oh, you're right. Blah, blah, blah. And this is this. And, and I said like, who, what, what happened? Like, and so he said that he'd seen the whole thing and some guy knocked me, whatever, but apparently like the guy who knocked me saw it and he saw this whole thing unfold and he just bailed. Like he literally just, got his stuff and just walked straight out of the gym was obviously, you know, incredibly embarrassed to, to potentially face me or, uh, you know, apologize, apologize or whatever. I mean, it was just a, it was an accident anyway, but if this I, is if when I you were back, 110, so you're a bit intimidating at that point. <laughs> Maybe. I, I don't know. My but, next um, question was going to be, did you fight him? No, we did obviously we not. Did, that's no, that's devastating. Did. Yeah. No, he, he picked the barbell up. We did not fight. No, but, uh, yeah, I just I remember like I wasn't I wasn't in, really in an angry mood. I was just more so like, what the fuck just happened? Like I was more just confused, right? So, mm. but yeah, and, but it would have been pretty funny to potentially spectate that for sure. I, I I made a similar not that your your um mistake was a wasn't really a mistake, but I did make a rookie error probably in my first couple of years of lifting where I I was squatting over a hundred kilos, so I had two plates on the bar each side and. I made that mistake where I took all the weight off one side <laughs> and left all the weight on the other side and yeah, completely flung the barbell um, out of the squat rack. So fortunately yeah. no one was on that side because they would have been injured. I've done exactly that as well. Mm. And it landed like a foot from a woman who was sitting on like the seated calf raise. So yeah, she Dangerous. was, she was safe, but not by much. Have you guys ever been pinned under like a barbell or like a bench press or anything like that? A few times, yeah. Mm, I've actually never been never been pinned un, mm. under a barbell. Like very, very close. I remember when I went over to the US, this was like, oh God, quite a few years ago. But I went to visit my, my family over there and I was training in a gym and I wasn't used to the height of like the barbell racks, et cetera. It was just maybe a touch too high for my, 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 lever, my lever length and... 
I remember getting myself in, you know, a nice stable position with my feet, kind of tucking my feet underneath me a bit more of like a powerlifting style bench. And the floor was a little bit slippery. So as I went to unrack the bar and sort of press it back up, my foot slipped and I slipped out from underneath me and I lost my sort of bearings and um, the barbell kind of got stuck. It was like moving very, very slowly. And I remember thinking like, this is me. I'm, I'm done for. <laughs> I'm not, I'm potentially not getting this up. And this guy ran across the gym and he must've just was watching me and saw it and he ripped the barbell off me. And um, so I do think back and I go, maybe I could have got that weight up. Like I, I was in the grind, but he, he ripped it off me at the time. So technically I didn't get pinned under it, but he uh, it could have been, you know, flashing lights and, and uh, blackout at that point. <laughs> Yeah, one of one of my clients who who'll probably listen to this, he actually sent me one of his because I, I regularly ask for uh, lifting videos in their check-in, and he sent me the video this week of this guy doing his best attempt to to squat uh, to spot my client, and then from like rep four onwards of like a ten rep set, he just grabs the bar and basically just helps him up and down every rep. Which man, that that sort of stuff just infuriates me. Yeah, I remember that video you put on your story where a dude like beelined across the gym to like help you get the last one. And you were like, I didn't, I think you said like, I didn't need your help. So like, yeah. that's just so brutal. I was, yeah, pretty in the moment at that point. I think uh, wasn't too concerned about his feelings at that point. Mm, absolutely. I, I definitely think like spotting someone is, is somewhat of a skill, right? Because you kind of need to know like the, the rep cadence, like how well that barbell is, um, is, is moving or how fast it's moving to determine sort of their proximity to fatigue slash failure. Like I remember spotting you Jack at the gym, like maybe a month ago or something like mm. that on an inclined barbell bench. And, you know, like I'm waiting for you. I want to see you struggle, right? I want to see mm. you grind, grind that last repetition out. But, you know, some people will see that as potentially you get being close. Yeah, exactly, man. So I pushed that barbell straight back down on you. I said, let's get another <laughs> one. No, I'm just kidding. But, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like it's somewhat of a skill, right? Learning, learning mm. how to spot someone. I'll, I'll always ask, the, like when someone asks me to spot them, I'll always say, hey, do you want, if I see the barbell going down, do you want me to um, assist you? Or do you want me to just um, like push out a few more reps? Because some people will put on a weight with the full expectation for the spotter to literally help them with every single rep, which I think is a bit of a joke. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I remember there was one time in the gym where I was pretty young. So like this was when I was still like asking for a, a squat on a barbell, a spot on a barbell back squat, which I would never do now because I would just not take it to that point of the set. And I remember there was this dude helping me and he, he didn't really need to help with the set, but he was just kind of there. And I was like, thanks, man. And I said to him, let me know if you need a spot, sort of like, you know, trying to be nice. You gave me a spot. If you need anything, let me know. And in his mind, he must have heard like, I'm going to ask you for another spot. So like, can you give me another spot? So I then subsequently start to set up to deadlift and I'm like about to do my set. And he comes up to me and he's like, so how do you want me to do this? <laughs> like he's wondering like, how does this kid want me to spot him on a deadlift? And I'll, oh, one of my favorite, he actually, he trains at the gym I'm at now. So I saw him the other day and I thought of that and I was like, geez, that, that would have been hilarious. Well, have you guys ever seen any of those videos where it shows someone like spotting someone on a deadlift and like pulling, like standing in front of them and like grabbing them from the neck? <laughs> <laughs> Basically like pushing this person's neck up towards the sky, like hyperextending their neck. 
<laughs> oh, oh, some of those videos where it's like oh like do you mind if i work in and it's like they're like on the stairs yeah, like yeah, walking yeah. like directly behind each other there's one where it's like one of those like booty builder hip thrusts and the dudes are like on top of each other both like thrusting the weight oh man those, those crack me up yeah absolutely and they're like, so what time are you finishing your workout? And they're just like standing together on the on the on the elliptical or something like that, just going. Yeah. <laughs> <very fun. laughs> oh. Uh, we'll see if we can get another question in, boys. Um, all right, this might be a good one. Biggest difference between this off season compared to previous. Jack, why don't you start us off? Yeah. So I mean, a fairly obvious difference is that I have AJ for this off season, and I think what's what he has helped me with is like my execution in the gym has never been poor by any means. It's been, it's been relatively good, but I think what he's helped me is really ensuring that the execution, the the intention of that movement is to bias the musculature for its purpose. So I think a good example for me is like a, a, a pull down. Like previously I would do a fairly traditional, like, upper back pull down where you kind of flare the elbows um, and and kind of lean back a touch and maybe use a touch of momentum as well which is still how probably like 95% of people do a pull down Um, but that wasn't really doing me any favors in terms of lat growth so we switched that to like um, like a neutral grip pull down kind of biasing like pulling down vertically with the elbows and also like a single arm pull down as well and that's really helped carry over into my coaching as well, where I can, can help people more um, effectively in that context. But other in terms of nutrition, like nothing much there in terms of training intensity, like I still train in, with the same sort of intensity. Um, I don't, I honestly don't really know why I've gotten so much stronger this off season than the last one. Like maybe it's just my age. I'm a few years older. Um, Maybe it's that I haven't had as many injuries. I'm not sure, but I'm significantly stronger than uh, than I have been in previous off seasons. Yeah, lovely. What about you, DC? Um, I would say the main difference would be, I mean, I guess comparing my off season between 2020 um, when when things were cancelled with um, with COVID, and then obviously jumping on stage last year for the IC in Queensland's. And then my off season now, I would say just just the length of the off season itself. So you know the off season between twenty twenty season A and and twenty twenty one season B, you know it's not a whole lot of time in an off season comparative to to now and looking at competing in twenty five. So my my goal was within a, a closer proximity, and I feel like when the goal is within a closer proximity, it helps you to rationalize your effort and investment to a greater degree, because you can kind of see that light at the end of the tunnel, you know, you don't have a lot of time. So, and having a longer uh, off season, it's, I think it's important as a competitor to not lose sight of that goal, because it can be, can be quite easy to kind of take a step back and go, Oh, I've got more time. Like I don't need to, you know, focus on these variables, et cetera. And even myself, you know, as a, as a human, as an athlete and as a coach, like, you, you do go through occasions where, you know, the, the foot gets taken off the pedal a little bit. And, and I find that myself, I'm still having to remind myself constantly, you know, Hey, I'm in my off season right now. This is, this is why I'm doing what I do because there are occasions where, you know, you want to be a little bit more sociable, et cetera. And that's important for overall lifestyle sustainability. 
but you know, if the premise and the goal is, is, you know, elite, elite athlete level, then you need to maintain that, that uh, elite, you know, mindset with regards to, to competition. So not that I've heavily struggled with this, but like anyone, I, I am trying to find that perfect balance where it's like, I'm enjoying life, but I'm also still invested in, in this very, very specific role that I have. So it is always going to be a balancing act, I think, for everybody within, within bodybuilding in an off-season. Mm. Yeah, firstly, man, I just want to say like kudos for, for talking on that because I think it's really easy for us where, you know, a lot of, a lot of our identity is bodybuilders and, and I'm sure we can all agree, you know, we're like to think of ourselves as quite, you know, high-level bodybuilders, certainly people that take it quite seriously. And I think sometimes there's this assumption that we're all, you know, 100% perfect each day. And, and look, I'm sure that there are definitely people out there who are or very close to, but, you know, just because you're, you know, enjoying a couple of social occasions and, and maybe not 110% on the money each day in your off-season doesn't make you a bad bodybuilder. And like DC said, you know, he's, he's over a decade in this and he's, he's still trying to find that balance. And I think you need to recognize that, you know, that level of balance is going to change depending on, on what season of life you're in. So when you're in a uni, you know, it's going to be different when you start a, a full-time job, it's going to be different. Perhaps one day you go on to have kids, then that balance is going to change. So just accepting it's always going to probably be a bit of a, a learning curve for you. Um, but as far as off season stuff for me, I really think it's just been about refining my approach to training i think that definitely through now you know me having a bit more collaborative role with joey i think we've been able to really make the training programs a lot more sort of sophisticated and intelligent to really suit my needs and i think that's probably reflected well in my physique and i think also just being able to to push my sessions a lot more i think that was something i always reflected on when i trained with jack is like you know i actually probably wasn't training as hard as i thought i was and I, I could have been training harder. Whereas, you know, now I think that my intensity really is there and my proximity to failure is a lot closer to where I need it to be. And I'm sure like all of us, you know, you still have those workouts where you go like, you know, you're like, maybe, like, man, am I even training hard enough? Like, do I, like, am I, am I really training as hard as I possibly can? And I think that's probably just, you know, us being hard on ourselves, but um, I certainly think I'm, I'm closer to where I want to be than I was the last time I was in an off season. That's for sure. How do you judge the uh, proximity to failure on your deadlifts? Because I saw the other day, uh, one of, I think the deadlift set that you posted. Because mm. like for me, let's say on an RDL, it'll usually be my back. Like my back kind of just yeah. wants to fold in half. But what about yeah. you on the deadlift? Well, that's the thing. Like I'm, I'm in a, an interesting spot with the deadlift in that, like even what I sort of said to you guys, like I just really like deadlifting. Like I would, I would, that would be one exercise that I would keep it in. Um, if it, if it never got me another gram of muscle, because I really enjoy it. And I really, I just kind of want to have a, a freaky deadlift that people go, Oh, wow, that's really impressive. And I, I like doing it. I think that they're fun. And also, you know, they're, if I only do one set, which is what Joey and I've decided to do now, where we back that down to one set, because over the last few weeks, I was just finding that second set was, you know, I was struggling to maintain, um, sort of my technique, like the, the technique was breaking down, even with like silly things like my grip and my, my foot position, because I just feel I'm, I'm, I was just a bit cooked to have to then mm. follow that up straight away. Whereas now if I only do one, my top set, make sure I take a nice rest before I get through to the rest of my session, I find that it's fine. Um, but to be honest, mate, like I'm, I'm not too fussed about when I feel like, oh, okay, I can feel my lower back there because 
you know, I also do want it to grow my spinal erectors at the end of the day. It's, it's my main bend over with something heavy movement. Um, but for me, I know that the set is done when I'm starting to, to get in the territory where I, I'm starting to hitch. Like, I don't think I'm a deadlifter where I truly do that hitch where, you know, like you see guys like really almost like rock the weight back and forth as they drag it. And they, they even sometimes bend their knees so they can get their hips under the bar and then kind of just yoik it up. Um, so off the ground is never your weakest link in the chain then? No, no. And, and it, that makes sense for my, my sort of biomechanics. You know, like my arms are very long and I start already in quite a high position to pull. So, and that is part of the reason why my deadlift is quite good. Um, but yeah, for me, as soon as I can feel that that lockout is not pure in the sense where I'm not needing any of that hitch, but as soon as I start to feel that little bit of a hitch come in, that's when I'll call the set. Uh, but even those deadlifts, like I think I'm getting pretty good now at, at knowing where my limits are um, to where I'm, I'm never worried about a rep. I'm never worried that a rep is going to be risky or not because I, I just know kind of where I stand with them. Mm. Um, and I feel like, especially that lift compared to where I was a few years ago um, when AJ actually messaged me and said like, dude, you could literally probably do 20 kilos heavier than this. Um, and he was right. So I think that's um, a lift that's definitely come a long way. Do you think you'll hit five plates again? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I reckon I, I'm probably going to end up hitting it in the next couple of weeks, I dare say. I just had to, it was a bit of a, a um, check back with reality because the, the last time I hit the five plates, uh, looking back, I realized how whippy that bar at Mount mm. Gravatt was. Whereas the ones that I'm deadlifting with now, they're still deadlift bars. So they've got a nice amount of flex, but they're not as bendy as those other ones. But I got, I'm going for two seventeen and a half tomorrow. Um, so if I get that for seven, then the following week, I'll probably have a go with, with 220 in the taper, which will be fun. Nice. Mm. Yeah, I've no, it's my first time using a deadlift bar off the, off the floor and mm. at rigs. And it does make a big difference. It Massive, just feels man. so much more comfortable to pull with massive like and that's the thing like at, at club lime like with those alpha fit bars like they're stiff as a board mm. and i'm just it's, it just feels it feels terrible like you just you're putting yourself in such a hard position to make the pull um and then you're limiting you know because you think about you're actually then limiting what you can move in all the rest of the range purely because the you know the couple inches that you need to get it off the floor is so difficult so I think it, it is something to be maybe considering of if you're, if you're fortunate enough and, um, you know, if your time and your finances allow you to train at multiple gyms, you know, like consider placing your deadlifts or your, your big hip hinges on days where you're at gym with better bars because it, it really is a or big buy a, buy a um, deadlift bar for the gym. Yeah, yeah. Well, I had a, a powerlifting friend that brought his deadlift bar to our gym and it was beautiful. And that's when I was deadlifting at Lyme quite regularly. Mm. And one day I saw these kids and I don't know what they were doing. Maybe DC's sports science background can tell me, but they were deadlifting. So, you know, like the bars that you put out, um, like the safeties. Mm. So they were deadlifting up into the safeties from wow. the floor. And I don't know if they were trying to do some sort of like isometric or like pulling up, like to enhance their pulling power but like they were literally just smashing this bar up into the safeties. And I went over and I was like, oh, hey, fellas, like, 
just so you're aware, like one of the boys from the gym has actually kindly left this bar at the gym for us to use. So like, let's maybe not obliterate it on the safety bars doing something that like we probably shouldn't be doing, like maybe just <laughs> use one of the crappy bars for that. And then, yeah, he took it home the next week, but I can't blame him. I would have done the same. Mm. Did you, did you tell him about it? Is that how he found out? No, no. One of the other boys, I think actually filmed it and sent it to right. him. Um, and he saw that and he was like, okay, that's that bars coming with me. Mm. Cause I mean, those bars aren't cheap, man. Like not cheap at all. So yeah, that's all right. Oh, well, boys, um, anything to add? No, nope, that's it for me. All good. All good. Beautiful. Well, that's quite a good discussion, lads. Even though we were shouldering the load of, um, of four podcasters because we were a man down, um, you know, we might actually find that if this episode does really well and, and is just smashing the charts, we, we might not need DY at all. Mm. So that's, <laughs> I guess, just a bit of a warning, DY. You know, this is your test. of Are you of any real value or can me, Jack and DC get the job done our own, on our own? Um, we'll wait and see. Well, some might say that he forgot his laptop on purpose, so he wouldn't have to podcast today. Yeah, that's a great yeah. point. Didn't he say he was going to jump in on the podcast? Have you had the chance? Mm, yeah, I had that. <laughs> no, I'm just, just throwing shade. <laughs> oh, well, it's always good to chat, lads. And dear listener, if you enjoyed today's discussion, there's a few things you can do to help us out. So the first of which is to take a screenshot. You can tag Jack DC, hell, even tag DY as well, even though he's not here. Tag myself and you can throw it up on Instagram. You can always also tag our page, Bodybuilding Down Under, which is growing nicely. And if you've got a few minutes up your sleeve, just jump over to Spotify or Apple or both and leave us a five-star review and a written review on Apple if you're feeling very kind. We love making this, so we really enjoy all the support we're getting. And um, thank you to all those that continue to tune in. This has been Bodybuilding Down Under and we'll catch you next week.